0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name is Justin Lee, and I'm joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Good morning, gentlemen. Hey, guys. Bad morning. Bad Good morning. OK, it is the 27th of February, so we're recording this on a Sunday morning this time around, but we have plenty to talk to since it's been a while since we've been uh, on the podcast airwaves. We'll obviously be talking some college basketball with conference tournaments right on the doorstep. We'll also talk uh, Super Bowl, since that I suppose is a slightly important uh, football event that took place while we were gone, and then baseball and its wonderful progress on coming to a way of damaging the sport even further. And uh, we'll touch on some uh, Pistons and Red Wings before all things are said and done in this edition of the Sports Emporium. So last time we met, we were somewhat effusive in our praise of the Golden Grizzlies. Um, Things have not gone as well as one would have hoped, given, you know, where they were at Uh, Last time we met, uh, they've dropped six of their last 10. Although it is worth noting that um, they've not lost a game by more than 11 points of those six losses. Twice they've lost by 11. Everything else has been in the single digits. So it's not like they're just falling apart and what have you. Um, But obviously, they've slid to middle of the pack in the conference. What have you guys seen?
1: my my takeaway is that i know that jamel kane has not been 100% healthy and i think that we know that jamel kane is very much a um and probably one of the bigger that understand- to be credited in the show uh, quite the difference maker um on this roster um and as a result and, and the other point though and it did uh warrant some discussion uh the last time we were on the show in terms of um the uh the the strategy of not playing a lot of players uh by Greg Campy and you combine those two as you uh uh get into you know basically this period of basketball is the conference, uh, you know, conference schedule, uh, and then Eric, a little bit of a, the dog days of, um, uh, of the uh, uh, schedule, if you will, just based on the conference play and whatnot. Uh, and, and, Brandon, my, my takeaway is that without a, a, a healthy Jamel Kane uh, and sometimes a, a Moore, uh, their guard, who um, is absolutely phenomenal, has gotten national praise, uh, the challenge, though, is that uh, with all the minutes that they're playing, uh, there maybe have hit a bit of a wall with a combination of uh, not 100% uh, healthy L Kane and a, maybe a little bit of a tired uh, Jalen Moore.
2: Yeah, I think that's absolutely, um, you know, kind of reason number one for what we saw. I think the consequences of the just lack of juice, lack of energy is that this team completely forgot their identity uh, and they became lazy, listless, uh just throwing up three pointers. Um, you know, I've watched almost every minute of Golden Grizzlies basketball this year. And when they were dominating teams, they played inside out. They started at the rim with Jamal Kane in the post and they played absolutely ridiculous defense. And they got away from both of those things. Jamal Kane became a perimeter player uh, and their defense really faltered. Um, you know, uh, over, over the last stretch of 10 games. And we knew it was going to be tough because they had that long road trip that we discussed the last time we are on the show. Uh, we knew they were going to drop some games in there, but to come home and just kind of get beaten up at home three, four straight times, you know, that, that's unacceptable. And Greg Campy in at halftime of the uh, Purdue-Fort uh, Wayne game put another entry into the uh, Campy Hall of Fame. When asked by a reporter what he saw in the first half, he said, terrible ridiculous, terrible. And this was after a 30-second pause in which he said he could not say what he wanted to say on air. And so to me, that really summed up the last five or six games for them. And, you know, going into the second half of the game yesterday, they, they were pretty much still there. And then they turned it around and did exactly what they needed to do, which is play inside out and play suffocating defense. And they turned over the top team in the conference almost, I think 17 times yesterday and they won the game,
1: you know, you, you know, and going back to the point that you made Brandon is that, you know, we did note in the last couple of shows how good uh, of a defense that they've been playing, which if, if you were to go over the tenure, of Coach Campy, a very long tenure. The one thing, if you were to criticize anything, would probably be sometimes the lack of defense that has been played by this program. And I think when we were seeing the defense that was being played by the Golden Grizzlies, that was probably the biggest source of optimism as we were, uh, you know, going into this, uh, you know, the the last show that we had. As uh, we looked at the conference schedule is that we thought they would really be able to build on that. But again, guys, when you're playing the, the lack of, of number of players, though, it seems to have changed a fair amount as we've uh, gone along here. Uh, we definitely, from our standpoint, there, they, you know, you have to be a little concurrent and, and and Justin, you made a good point about the margins of, of uh, uh, defeat, but if this, you know, is one of those, uh, you know, instances where you start looking at March and maybe they can start stringing some gank together. Yes, we, yeah, I mean, they, they could in fact, you know, get there, you uh, know, and there being the NCAA tournament. But it, it, it's a little disappointing to have this dip like we did, so.
0: That is true. Um, but I, I, I think one of the interesting things is, or at least what it struck me as, is is this, you know, an Oakland team having its downturn at the right time? And we talk about this in other sports, too. You know, when teams go on these huge tears to end the season, you um, and then just fall flat in the playoffs. And there, it, there's very few exceptions to so had Colorado Rockies a few years ago being one of them. But I mean, you know, there's something to be said where when you're a really good team, every team suffers at some point or another with very few exceptions. And um, maybe this was them getting this out of their system at the right time. Uh, because what what's, was remarkable was the fact that Cleveland State, the best team in the conference, theoretically, they beat when they had to, when they, when they decided, you know what? we we got to stop this. We've lost three straight at home. We need to beat these guys. Well, they did. And if they're healthy, I think that continues. Now, uh, who knows, right? But one more regular season
1: game and
0: then conference tournament. But there's no reason why they still can't wind up in the big dance.
1: Well, and I think to your point, I mean, the the, the one thing that's going to help them, and I, I mean, my takeaway from the what I've been able to watch of them is Jamel Kane has kind of turned the corner with some of the uh, uh, injuries that were called out, and I think that that will go a long way in terms of being able to uh, uh, get it where he is it, put in a position, uh, to, to succeed it, you know, especially being a, a much healthier than he had for that, uh, road trip. Uh, and, and I think, boy, that, that, and oh, by the way, because they are playing a little bit of a deeper bench now, finally, um, you're going to be looking at, uh, a, a team that might have a little more energy than you would have expected. Uh, um, you know, now going into the conference tournament, which I think will be very critical. So.
2: Quick note: They are actually in tournament play. Uh, the regular season ended yesterday. Uh, they have IUPUI Tuesday in round one. Um, oh, that's a round one game, not anymore. yeah, yeah. They they managed to lose themselves a, a buy uh, with their slide. You know, I think I think Justin, you make a really good point about you know when downturn, upturn, and uh, we'll talk about a little of this later when we get into the power conferences. You know, seven of the top ten teams lost yesterday. So bad things happen to good teams, right? Uh, I think the challenge that I'm concerned about is that I do think they can win this conference tournament. I do think they're the most talented team, but their slide has them looking at almost certainly a 15 or 16 seed if they were to get in. And, you know, they were knocking on the door of the top 10 in uh, mid-major rankings when the last time we, we did a show. And, you know, at the time they were first in the conference and they were a projected 13 seed. And in a 13 seed, this team can win a ball game in the NCAA tournament. They can do that. In a 15 or 16 seed, boy, you're, you're at, that's trouble. That's trouble. So uh, obviously I have many, many cards ahead of many horses here, but uh, that's the one thing that if they do put together this run, they will have left themselves with uh, quite a matchup uh, uh, in the NCAA
0: tournament. That is true. It's usually my job to put a, a damper on things, but uh, you've done a, a fine job of that. Um, but hey, at this point, let's get back to the tournament. Let's let's do that. Um, that would be pretty pretty fun. So um, IUPUI, uh, that's Tuesday, 8 p.m. And um, I mean, if they don't win that game, that would be shameful. Um, I, mean, I don't think I have anything else to say on that matter. Uh, UPUI
2: currently has a 0.7% chance of victory. Do they now? According to the matchup predictor analytics on ESPN.com.
0: I will bear that in mind. Uh, Place your bets theoretically wisely. So moving on to uh, other parts of the NCAA, uh, we can talk about, um, well, two other teams that have been on a bit of a ride and um, the, We'll start with the Wolverines and their pugilistic head coach, and um, that's, that was a very unfortunate set of circumstances uh, with Juwan Howard, and I don't see any, any part of that that helps them in any way whatsoever. I, I think it's just a negative all the way around.
1: It, Brandon, I, I would defer to you. You're more the uh, definitely a more conscientious Michigan uh, basketball fan than I am. But uh, um, you know, in, in my opinion, I mean, I, I couldn't believe when I'm hearing you know the, the you know the different reports coming out of it, right? Um, I I couldn't believe that it happened. I couldn't believe the circumstances were even set up to 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 be there. Um, And especially, too, for a a Juwan Howard that got off to such a, a, you know, um, a a good start uh, to his coaching career there, both from, you know, knowing, you know, what he had to do in terms of putting together a staff so that they would be a a pretty well coached team on the court to a, uh, you know, a guy that was doing a very good job of recruiting by uh, all, you know, different reports that you read uh, to this season that has been pretty frustrating Uh, and i think like there's been a real log jam in terms of trying to figure out how to work through that and then to have it basically, for the lack of a better way of putting it, culminate to a moment like that took place that just seemed it was avoidable at a couple of different stretches. You can't all you have to do is sit back and go, oh, my gosh, what what did happen? And and kind of wonder how Juwan Howard is going to move forward, because let's be honest, the 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 uh, uh, the the tolerance of of anything, whether it be a not so good basketball team or obviously, you know, you know, such behavior uh, will needless to say, really put, you know, a guy like Kim in an absolutely horrible spot and in the program, a horrible spot with choices that will have to eventually be made. So I don't know. Very, very frustrating.
2: Yeah, it was disappointing. You know, I watched it live and was stunned. I could not believe what I was seeing. Um, and. I get that the frustration was boiling over for him, but to me, the team had really turned a corner and yes, they lost by 10 to Wisconsin, but it was at Wisconsin and Wisconsin's going to be a three seed. I mean, it it happens, you know, and the team had turned a corner. They blew out Purdue at Purdue or excuse me, at home. And then they, they beat up Iowa on the road. And I was a top 25 team. They had turned the corner. And I think that showed the other night when they beat Rutgers, You know they they were fine. Uh, You know clearly his frustration was boiling over. Totally unnecessary. Um, You know I I don't believe that the Wisconsin head coach is quite as faultless uh, as the rest of America seems to. Uh, Context is very important. He knew Howard was very hot. He was clearly very hot, and he put his hands on Howard. And he put his hands on Howard first. And and yes, Jawan Howard was absolutely in the wrong. Jawan Howard deserved to be suspended. But Greg Gard put his hands on Howard first. Period. So, you know, and that and that has been totally erased uh, in this narrative. And, yes, head coaches oftentimes put their hands on one another in the handshake line, but context matters, folks. They were both really pissed off, and he put his hands on another man. So, you know, and he got away with a $10,000 fine, which the school paid. So... You know, uh, yeah, I'm in total agreement with Adam on the disappointment, on the frustration. I think the good thing is that Michigan falls back to a very deep coaching staff and a guy running the team who is, you know coached about 400 games or whatever uh, and has made a run to the elite eight, you know, and, and has endless experience. So uh, I think Michigan's fine. I think they are a team trending upward. Uh, I think they have a real good chance to beat Illinois today. And I think they'll, they'll make it into the NCAA tournament. I don't know what they'll do there, but uh, I actually do think they're a team on the rise. Um, and I actually don't think based on what they did at Rutgers uh, with Rutgers the other night, that this actually really is going to make all the big of a difference. Uh, you know, I just think that they're they're clicking on all the cylinders and you know kind of going in the opposite direction of Michigan state.
1: Another rough team
0: so Michigan state technically speaking uh is is doing a little better this year than Michigan overall um, but uh, like you guys said, not so well of late, they've dropped like five of their last seven, something like that um, so never a, um, never a good feeling uh, going into this, this part of the season, although I suppose you can make the argument, you know, if there's a bad or you know, a good time to not do so well, maybe it's now. Uh, and a win over Purdue, um, which they just had, is a pretty pretty darn good thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the challenge here is that the hallmarks of the March Izzo teams are simply not present. And it was pretty much the same issue as last year. Uh, They are a team that does not have a player that's averaging more than 12 points per game. I simply don't see how you make a deep NCAA tournament run without a finisher on your roster. It just, it's not possible. You know, the NCAA tournament is about guys playing out of their mind and carrying their teams to victory and putting up 20, 30 points when they need to. And they don't have that guy and they turn the ball over nonstop. And they saved their season, frankly, uh, yesterday, I think, given their schedule that was left. If they had lost that game. There was a real good chance that they were going to go into the Big Ten tournament in desperation mode, which is a wild departure from a team that was ranked in the top 10 not too long ago. Um I don't think that team's very good Uh, you know we'll see what Michigan and Michigan State do on Tuesday and that'll ultimately tell the tale but you know if you had to make me bet I say Michigan's a better team right now and they have they're better set up for the NCAA tournament and I don't think Michigan is necessarily gonna make a run but I think that just speaks to the relative weakness
0: of both of those uh, both of those teams well what's kind of interesting about State is they're they're very much in the opposite position as you're alluding to of like how Oakland has, has been this season is they've got nine guys who get on the court regularly, Uh double digit minutes. Like, I mean, they're, they're always on the court good players um, and no, nine, they have nine, 10 good players. But to your point, none of them that just go out there and put the team on their back. Um, nobody who has any stats that, that jump out, you know, um, nobody's averaging more than six rebounds a game. And, um, nobody's averaging or just slightly, but one person uh, is averaging just over five assists a game. Uh, So, so it's like, it's just this spread out bunch of good players. It's just, that's not usually how you win in the NCAA tournament, but then again, you pull the right levers at the right time. I mean, that's, you know, you never know.
1: and 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 I think as far as I'm, I'm concerned, and, and kind of going back to Brandon's point, I'm used to a Tomiso team having a superstar on it, like a mm-hmm. not necessarily someone that's going to go on and do great things. It doesn't mean if it's uh, you know I think about Montine Cleave, I think about these guys that 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 are are leaders and 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 you can feel their presence on the court when you are watching them. And from my standpoint, there's no one on there that is translating that, that coaching style of Tom Izzo uh, via, you know, via their uniform that they have on. And as a result, I mean, it, it, all you can do really is, is just, I mean, and, and honestly, I've watched them Michigan basketball this year. I watched them Michigan state basketball this year. And I, it, and I would even argue that maybe the best guy, the best college player in the state is still Jamal Cain. I, I really I really do believe that and and I think it and it's just because when Jamal Kane is on the court you can feel uh him being able to manage and control a game where it seems like when I'm watching the Michigan Michigan State they're both very they just you know to your point you know a bunch of guys on the roster are out there they're playing and that's that. So, uh, and and they're not looking. You know, I mean, like you go back here in the Michigan. I mean, Michigan. You know, right before that, Michigan uh, that Wisconsin game, they went into Iowa and won, which is ridiculous. They never go into Iowa and win, right? But they still hadn't really. That was basically their signature win, really for the most part this season. And I mean, I think you know, Michigan State had wins, but I don't even really think they have anything I would call a signature win. So.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Michigan, you know, certainly Michigan beating Purdue by 24 was, uh, I think, a pretty good statement. I, You know, I think Hunter Dickinson is is easily the best player in the state. Um, you know, I, Jamal Kane is a very good basketball player. Jamal Kane might even have a better a shot at the NBA than Hunter Dickinson because of his versatility. But I, as a college player, I think Hunter Dickinson is far and away the best in the state. But I think your point's still well made is that Jamal, you can feel the way that Jamal Kane can change the course of the game. And Michigan State does not have that. They have guys that can do it in moments. Um, but, you know, just very bizarre to see an Izzo team that doesn't have that identity. And I think I would make the same point about Michigan State. I would make about Oakland is that, you know, what have you done to your seeding chances? You know, Michigan State was on the three or four line four weeks ago. And now they might be a six or seven seed. And so you may have a, you know, a a winnable first game, but then you're right back up against a two or three seed. And when this team has played elite talent on neutral courts this year, it's been bombed. It got destroyed by Kansas, destroyed by Baylor. And when they've been on the road against the good big 10 teams, they've really struggled like against Illinois. Uh, So I think tough sledding for both programs, but I like Michigan's chances right now. But again, if state comes into, you know, Ann Arbor and wins on Tuesday, well then, I look dumb.
1: I was just sitting here thinking, you know, we're gonna have this talk, and it happened so many times in the show. Justin knows where we 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 we're someone, and then we're and then the next show is Spartans in the final four. So whatever, right. seriously, I, seriously.
2: I, so I'm just telling
1: you the I'm telling you the history of the show, where where we we, we can see it. We can see the future, we know it's gonna happen. How many times we sat there with the tigers? Oh, they started to get going and then we come in and they forgot how what end of the baseball bat to hold. And I mean, Jesus. Uh.
0: <laughs> so if if there if if it is such that just the opposite's going to happen, let me just say now that I think um, major league baseball won't have a deal
1: i think we have to believe that at the way this is going i uh well you might as well get started go ahead uh justin and and uh we might as well jump into it
0: i agree so um Uh. boy what a cluster um I, i there's no real good way of of encapsulating this i mean obviously everybody and their brother has their take on who's at fault and you know, and why is this happening and what are the important issues and, and all of that. And, you know, the reality of the situation is that the owners really have more chips than the players and they know it. And that's why they didn't negotiate for more than half of the time of this lockout. And that's why they've set the deadlines that they've set knowing that come Monday when there's no deal, players' paychecks will start going in the wrong direction. Now, the players are now saying, okay, we're going to take some other things off the table if you try to pull that on us. And this makes me believe we could be in for a significantly shortened season, if not a canceled season, um, which would be devastating at this point. Um, And... You know, the players really felt like, so looking at the proposals this weekend, the players really felt like they made a big, series of big concessions this weekend. And Major League Baseball's response was basically to F off. And so the players even talked about yesterday after the meetings of just simply breaking off negotiations at this point. That's how upset they were now the cooler heads have prevailed and they're going to be back at it at one o'clock today but you know one of the very big issues and really one of the absolute main things the players want is for younger players to make more money sooner that that is really their thing because right now the way the structure works is a player is on the 40-man roster for three years of service time making essentially the major league minimum there's it's not quite that simple but for the sake of our conversation let's consider it that at that point after that third service here and there are well there's one very important exception we're going to get to which is 22% of the players between two and three years of experience become super twos and that is they are arbitration eligible at that point in time then years three through six basically players are arbitration eligible and then after year six they become free agents so that's the current process. So players can make good money in arbitration if they do well. There, there's no doubt about it. But then obviously, for agency is when they can make big, big money. What the players want is to shift that timeline forward. And what they've asked for is 75% of the between two and three year players to get to be arbitration eligible, as well as significantly increase minimums. They're still apart on the minimums by about hundred grand a year, that'll get solved. The big issue is the arbitration one uh, and the Super 2s. Major League Baseball's opening position was, to, we're going to keep it at 22%. Um, and maybe we'll, we'll raise a little bit the, the bonus pool of money. Um, Major League Baseball was 75% and a, and a ginormous pool of money. The Players Association then, over the weekend, reduced that to 35%. Major League Baseball's counteroffer was 22%, and you're going to like it. And it, so it, it's stuff, you couldn't come to 25 I mean, come on. I, I mean, so it's stuff like that that just, like, why even fight on that issue? Because that 3% wasn't going to break the bank, right? And you're showing at least a little bit. I mean, it, these guys came down forty percent. You can't show something, and this is why I think the owners are really being disingenuous. And there's some other reasons why. Um, and then the players are being hot-headed because then they're like, "Oh, okay, well, we're going to raise, we're going to raise the bonus pool." Then it's like, "Okay, guys, that's not the way negotiation works. I understand you're mad, but that's not the way this works, and you're going to get nowhere by doing that." so that's that's one of the the two reasons why this deal won't get done the other reason why this deal won't get done is the competitive balance tax and so right now the way it works is if a team exceeds a certain amount of payroll they get taxed again wildly oversimplified but that's basically it what the players are saying is that it works as a de facto salary cap ergo pushing down salaries um and we don't like it. So what the players have suggested is raising that limit, that, that tax threshold, uh, pretty significantly, about $30 million a year. Uh, the owners have raised it, I think we're at about $5 million a year at this point, And they've eliminated uh, draft pick penalties, which was a pretty significant step. Um, This one, I think the players are in the wrong. Um, Every other major sport has a salary cap. They're going to need to accept that. This is the least salary cappy of any system. And you guys are going to need to come down more significantly um, for the owners. It is what it is. However, the bigger sticking point there is the level of penalties. The Players Association has said, and I, I don't know exactly what the penalties are right now. There are certain percentages of your payrolls like twenty percent, whatever. Major League Baseball is like tripling that, and so it's really going to create a much harder cap because if I, I think if you're the third tier over, it's a one hundred percent tax. So if you think it's over $251 million, you got to pay $251 million into this pool. So no one's ever going to break that. That would be ridiculous. So I think Major League Baseball needs to either raise the cap significantly or come down off that number. Um, they have come down a little bit on some of the other tiers. But the, the point is, is the these two issues are so far apart that. I don't see, I I just don't see how this, how this works. Um, The draft lottery will get worked out. Um, The playoff thing will get worked out. Uh, I think both sides are just holding those hostage as bargaining chips for the other two important pieces of this. Those would not stop a season from happening. So, we, we're really left with, uh, you know, it is worth mentioning the rule change one as well, because I know this is a sticking point um, for the players. But right now, if the commissioner can can unilaterally change the rules. So if he wants a clown car, second base runner, he can do that um, in extra innings. But it's a one year. He has to announce it. And then the next season, it will become effective. Major League Baseball wants a 45 day window that's asinine um, because that means you can change things during the middle of a season and unilaterally. It's fine if both sides agree, but unilateral changes to the rules during the middle of a season, barring something insane happening, which again, I think if both sides agree, then whatever. That's just, that's just silly. The next season. Sure. I, I get that. But forty-five days, I mean, just just get out of here. You're being dumb. But that isn't gonna be what holds up this deal. They'll they'll come to an agreement on that. So that's the story right now. And um, you know, I love the game of baseball. Um I will miss it very, very much if they don't play this year, but uh I'm under no illusions that, that there's much likelihood that we're going to see any baseball anytime soon.
1: Justin, the thing I, if I'm listening, to you break it down and I really did. That was a very nice, comprehensive, but at the same time, concise uh, summary of what's going on. The, the one takeaway that I, I have, and you say that, you know, the owners are kind of in the Caxburn seat. And I, I guess my, my only thought there is that with, with the uh, owners is the complete uh, lack of self-awareness in terms of the, um what could be uh another nail in the coffin of baseball if, in fact, they don't play the season. And I think that's where that that lack of self-awareness is where and especially too when you consider uh, you know, and I, I, you know, look the, at the figure of Mike Illich, You know, he, he bought the team. Uh, you know, and now it's grown to like ten times the the the, the value or something of that variety, right? So, so you're not you're, you're you're you know while while you're sitting there, you're talking about something from an operational standpoint. And baseball is different than football, right? Where baseball you're a lot more dependent upon uh the seats, uh, you know, the 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 and the seats, if you will, and what people are paying there versus really football the 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 People that are in the stadium not uh, consequential to the bottom line because really it all comes down to you know the media deals, specifically the TV deals, right? But I, all I'm getting at is, is that right now it seems like need, especially the owners are not seeing the, the the light through the forest that they need to, and as a result, it's it, it, it's really painful to watch to think that people are going to sit there with the, this issue that quite honestly it really doesn't see the big picture.
0: And and Brandon, I know you want to jump in, but I do want to talk about one of the things that has pissed me off about the owners in regards to team valuation, but go ahead. So don't let me forget that point, but go
2: ahead. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, the only thing I'm going to do is just pile more on the owners. I mean, I just, I, I, you know, I think they're squarely at fault for this. Uh, I, I don't, I am not following this anywhere near the depth that you are. So I won't dispute your point on where the players can do better, but I think, you know, Than not being able to see the forest for the trees point that Adam's making. It's just, you know, between the TV contracts, the valuations, uh, the opportunity to pass an extraordinary tool of wealth uh, down to their children, as Mike Gillich did uh, with his children. You know, they just don't seem to understand that they have that leverage. You know, the players have a very small window, in order to make their money and that's likely what they're going to live off their entire lives and yes for the big guys the stars like nobody's hurting right but there are so many thousands of guys across these different parts of the system and even fringe minor leaguers that you know and fringe major leaguers they need you know they need this window to maximize the amount of money that they're going to make and the, the concessions are so small that the owners need to make and they don't even seem to understand it they don't even seem to understand the, the degree of, of long-term wealth and power that they have. And they don't get it because if they did, they would know they're sabotaging themselves right now with what they're doing because they're doing the one thing that can put that long-term value that they have under threat, which is to make baseball irrelevant.
0: That's well summed up. And um, you know the point I wanted to make along those same lines is you know they've talked about how one of the reasons why uh, the owners are upset is that they could get more money by investing in the S and P 500. Their their cash. Um, that was one of the arguments that I've seen made. And so the S and P, which goes back to the fifties, averages ten and a half percent. Baseball teams grow in valuation between two and five percent a year. Um, so true you can get more money doing that but i would challenge a 100 percent of the owners um, of this game on two two things one is you own a baseball team because you want to not because it's a great investment and two um i bet you you have other investments that are also getting you two to five percent because every wealthy person has bonds and they have um other Uh, smaller, yielding, safer instruments. So don't cry to me about- Or or just sell your
2: team. Shut up and sell the team then. Get out. Someone will buy it. Go away. Go
0: take your money. Go take your
2: huge profits that you'll have made off the team sale and go invest it in the S&P. Bye.
0: Correct. Correct.
1: Well, and I think the follow-up to that is that for for all the crying and whining about how, you know, quote, unquote, poor they are, my retort, you know, at the same time when they get asked to open the books then they go oh no we, we can't open the book we, we can't we can't show open the book so i mean I, it it's a bad situation and i think that you know and you know the one thing i i, I if you were kind of talking through those things I, i'm i'm wondering if the players have any sort of option to say you know what we'll figure out how we're going to do this without you guys and we'll go form a different league. I don't even know. I don't know. I, I, that might be the craziest, dumbest thing, but it seems like, and it would be, I mean, that would be quite a diversion, you know, a quite a lot more than a diversion. It would be quite a tactic, but especially when you look at, uh, you know the the NFL having um you know USFL getting started and whatever and and previous you know uh in in the league past um and you know a lot of the issues that you're talking about now uh are some of the things that came up in the whole uh Phil Mickelson Scotty you know superstar uh, golf league you know and whatever right not exactly the same, but a lot more parallels than I think a lot of people understand. And I, I just I, I wonder at some point if that's something, if it's really that bad, uh, if that's even something that gets brought up. So.
2: Yeah, I mean, it must be so awful that twenty nine teams other than the Miami dumpster fires are worth a billion dollars <laughs> at minimum. Every team but the Miami dumpster fires cleared a million, a hundred million dollars in revenue last year. It's just it's just so ridiculous. <laughs>
0: It's so ridiculous. Yeah, great. Yes. Um, and, and to, to further <laughs> um, jump up and down on the owners, and it's not the current owner's fault per se, but they do benefit from this, is that uh, Congress has been very, very favorable to Major League Baseball and has carved out numerous exemptions for Major League Baseball on numerous fronts. So anything antitrust, anything related um, to labor laws, any of that um, gets thrown out the window for baseball. That's how minor league players cannot be paid yet still have to work for several months during the season, uh, spring training and, and workouts and things like that, even though they're not paid for it. Major League Baseball has an exemption that they do not need to pay minimum wage they do not need to pay overtime they do not need to provide medical care um so when when the legislative body of the country says you can do whatever the hell you want like how could even an, another league compete well what, what other business are you aware of where you can have
2: a failing business and make money <laughs> The Philadelphia uh, Phillies are worth $2 billion. They haven't won a division title in 10 years. What's uh-huh. like what other business you just could be abject failures, see Lions, Detroit, and still make money. And just so, consistently fail, but make a hundred million dollars a year.
1: Airline. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <Dang it. laughs>
2: but the equivalent would be if three or four of them crashed every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and when once planes start crashing, like the Philadelphia Phillies and Detroit
0: Lions have been crashing like different ballgames. game. hundred percent true. And that's a great point. And that, again, gets back to the disingenuous argument of, oh, my God, we're losing money every year. Um, no, no, you're not. Uh, I mean, for tax purposes, yes, you are. Um, but but no, you're not. Um, you know, One of the arguments they made was they have to put so much capital into these teams that it, it negates anything. Well, they're not putting in uh, $500 million a year. Uh, the Yankees aren't spending out of the owner's pockets $500 million a year to offset their gain in value, their annual gain in value. So let's not be silly. Let's also put
2: aside the ridiculous subsidies that all these teams get from the cities they play in to build their new stadiums, That's which fair, contribute 22. hugely to these billion-dollar-plus valuations that they have. So
1: so there is a move I did read just in the last three days in Congress of eliminating those subsidies, which I, quite honestly, it's come about 30 years too late, but who who am I?
2: Someone subsidized for them to build an 80-foot dolphin in Miami (laughs) for a team that wins, like, 53 games a year.
0: The city of Miami paid hundreds of millions of dollars for that. That's so stupid. And yet here we are. So uh, stupidity reigns in baseball. And that is where we are right now. I really was hoping that at this point uh, we'd be talking about um, the first spring training games starting. Uh, First game would have been probably either today or Monday. Uh, you know, their, their Florida Southern game that they always play. And we'd be talking about who looked uh, good in camp and, um, and who was going to break with the team this year. And is this Torkelson's year? Is it green's year? You know, what about Job? You know, he's looked pretty amazing in the mini camp. Um, no, no, let's not do that. Let's, um, Let's talk about the millionaires fighting with the billionaires. And um, if, and, and while that is such an a irritating thing to say, remember the scale between millions and billions, right? What's the saying is like a million seconds is like a few days and a billion seconds is like a few decades. Um, so... Somebody's got an upper hand here, and if they don't want to lose that value that they have in their teams, they need to do a better job. And this is this what it is? So with that said, let's talk about a former Detroit Lion. Since we brought up the Lions, um, figure we can talk about a former Detroit Lion. And uh, I, I will tell you that I am exceedingly happy that Matt Sta- Stafford won a Super Bowl. Um, I think this guy gave it everything he could while he was here in Detroit. He was far from perfect. Um, but he was a really good quarterback. and um, as as you know, and they say that you know quarterback is one of the hardest jobs to have in Detroit, you know right next to Wing's goaltender and so on and so forth. But uh, um, it just goes to show that nope, problem wasn't Stafford. Sorry, guys. Because there are plenty of people who were out there who were like, oh, Stafford, he's a bum. He sucks. No, he's actually pretty darn good quarterback with a knack for fourth quarter heroics. And I um, ah, wonder what happened to the Super Bowl. So I, I just. Um, I'm really happy for him, and it's just another indicator that the Lions are the problem if there haven't been a million of those already. You know,
2: an interesting uh, comparison that someone made that I, I went and looked up just because it was, it was such a curious one I hadn't heard before was that, you know, if you look at the stats, Matt Stafford compares very well with Brett Favre. And now they both have a ring and Brett Favre is lauded as one of the gunslinger, the, you know, risk for war, you know, hop shot quarterback, you know, one of the defining quarterbacks of the 90s. Matt mm-hmm. Stafford's numbers are better. I mean, he doesn't have the same scale, right? He hasn't played as long and probably won't. But, you know, I think Matt Stafford's very much the same kind of guy. And it's just interesting to see, you know, that risk for war. And, I mean, Stafford threw like. 17 picks this year so you know and you saw that in the super bowl too like great throws terrible throws right but you know just to see the way being on a, on a team that had the same sustained, sustained success of the packers what that did for the Favre, you know image or whatever what people thought of him versus stafford when stafford really stacks up quite favorably now and now he's got the ring so um that was just an interesting comparison i heard i thought i would lift up but i echo justin's thoughts i was i was happy to see stafford
1: uh, one, as far as that Brett Favre uh, stat, I mean, the one thing I will say with Brett Favre is that, I mean, he was kind of at the beginning of, of that, that, uh, trend of kind of, you know, uh, a lot of quarterback, uh, a lot of throwing, uh, in, in the league. So I think he definitely benefited, but I think, uh, you know, Stafford is, uh, from a stack standpoint is definitely played in a way more, uh, pack oriented NFL as far as Stafford winning. Hey, it was great. Um, I think I think he got really fortunate uh, on a couple of stretches um One, I mean it was good that he had three hall Famers on defense that really helped as opposed to what he had you know uh, in uh, in Detroit. I think two is that you look know, to be honest the the path to the Super Bowl was um uh pretty darn good uh if if you are Stafford uh your first game is against uh, Cl- uh Cliff Clingsbury and uh Kyler Murray I don't think they knew which end zone they're supposed to go to uh you then wax the uh uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I think we all got calls to play wide receiver uh, uh, for the Buccaneers in that game. Uh, and in the meantime, it was amazing. Tom Brady, uh, you know, losing his uh, um, left tackle, all pro left tackle. And then in the meantime, I don't know, I couldn't, even despite the lack of wide receivers, I couldn't believe how many wide receivers he missed um, in that game. And then a go up against San Francisco, which you kind of knew. You know, the, the result. And even at that, you know, uh, Stafford got really lucky throwing that one ball in the uh, uh, defensive back uh, from San Francisco dropping the ball. Could be catches that, the game's done, right? And then and,
2: but, and then. and yet, Adam, the NFL MVP managed to choke against that 49ers team. Choked on applesauce.
1: NFL oh, absolutely. MVP. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, 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 for sure. And then in the meantime, then to go to the Super Bowl and really. Got pretty lucky because the, be- the really probably the best game of the playoffs, the best game you've seen in in a decade in the NFL with Kansas City and Buffalo completely burned out. Kansas City going into the game against uh, Cincinnati, who really had no business being in the Super Bowl. Uh, and so, hey, good good. And you know what? For for all the lauding on Max Stafford, you know what? If he really wanted to win, he really understood. He would have never signed that contract extension he would have demanded a trade five, six, seven years ago. So um, I, you know, Hey, good for Matt. Great. Hall of fame. No, I, I, I not when you're not even top 10 in your era. Uh, I, I, yeah. I,
2: I, I, but, but how do you justify Favre then? I,
1: I don't, I don't. Oh, don't... oh no, no, no. no. I, I, I don't, I don't personally justify but Favre is a, is a John Madden buildup guy. Right. I mean, I don't know. I, you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not arguing that at all. So, like everything was laid out beautifully for you know Matt Stafford, and, and, and he took advantage of it. He executed beautiful.
0: But you know, I, I you know the only part of that that I disagree with is the if he wanted to win, he wouldn't have signed the contract extension. Um, I mean, I guess that's true uh, to an extent, but there's also a loyalty I think uh, piece that went into that and um, maybe misguided I think that's really fair to say I am no defender of the Lions Um, but I'm not going to knock a guy for sticking around to a city that he seemed to like and get along with and and prosper in individually Um, other players have taken a very different tact no question and have said "Ah, I'm not doing this um others have you know stayed in their town until the very very end when they knew that they couldn't do it i think ray bork you know uh year i mean what 17 years of bruin uh and he left to go get a stanley cup and i can't say i blame him um
1: and and and, and justin the only reason i i is i all i heard was for the two week leading up to the Super Bowl, and then after all this, poor Max Stafford, poor Max Stafford. And it just seemed like a lot of enabling of Max Stafford in some of his decisions. And that's all. And especially when I, I that, that's the thing, it's just like, Dude, if he really wanted to, you know, if he knew what was going on, leave. Don't don't sign an extension like you that new contract, like you did. Move on. Make you know. The, 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 but but you you were complacent, which is probably one of the reasons why the you know the, the franchise has been so terrible is because of your complacency. So that that's all. I, I, but again, hey, good for you. Took advantage of the opportunity and, and go on. So.
2: I don't like the NFL Hall of Fame. I think it lets under the standards that the NFL Hall of Fame is set. Stafford should absolutely be a Hall of Famer. The second Brett Favre got in, there's no reason Matthew Stafford should be. And I am not actually a huge Matthew Stafford fan. You can go back to our shows a few years ago where I might have been singing a tune similar similar to yours, Adam. But it, once Brett Favre got in the Hall of Fame, there's just no. We're talking about a guy that who threw 44 touchdowns and 30 picks in the playoffs. Like I, you know like just like a, a very mediocre quarterback on the whole who just padded stats. And he was an easy first ballot hall of famer. I don't know how you look at the numbers between the two and you don't put Stafford in based on the standards of the NFL is set. And he's still going to keep playing. I would assume. Yeah.
0: So
1: Go co- co- off the top of my head. The only thing I would say in, in, re- in response to that is at the very least brett farb on a regular basis head team in the playoffs which has not been the case at all for Max Stafford, right? I mean, Max you know, so that that's where I would maybe kind of argue, but I, I'd have I'd have to go back and look at Hall of Fame quarterbacks and, and find out where that bar is. But you uh, know, and I clearly and, and, I
2: have the, the stats page pulled up in front of me so I can do this, but in 302 games, Brad Favre was sacked 525 times. In 415, Matthew Stafford, or excuse me, in 182, Matthew Stafford was sacked 415 times. Mm-hmm. So why did Green Bay keep getting to the playoffs? They knew how to assemble a roster. They knew how to do it then, and they know how to do it now.
0: Yeah. The for Lions his, have
2: never known how to do it.
0: Period. For his career, and, and we know Favre played a very, very long time, um, he had 43 game-winning drives. Stafford has 42 in his career. Um, so just again, you know uh, – in terms of context on the field what he has control of Stafford has actually outperformed most of the big quarterbacks in those kind of clutch situations does that mean he belongs in the hall of fame no i'm not saying that right but it is worth it is worth noting that you know Favre, yeah he had 71,000 passing yards that's a lot He's probably gonna end up in the Hall of Fame that way, but it's but Pat Stafford's twelfth all time in passing yards. I mean, so that, that to me is an argument for because
1: it is he going to end up there? Probably, and that's fine. I, I'm not, I'm not gonna lose any sleep over it. I but but and I think to Brandon's point. You know, the the bar is kind of all over the place when it comes to, you know, Hall of Famers and, and probably in the NFL, right? And uh you know oh well the NFL is,
2: is the the NFL is the anti-MLB when it comes to the, how they manage their Hall of Fame. They're they're completely in the opposite direction, honestly.
0: Yeah, agreed. So and, and you look at like Trey Aikman, who played about the same number of games as Stafford. And what, 20,000 fewer passing yards now yeah, he won a uh, a ton of Super Bowls so he's got that going for him but you know just just anyway we, we, we got off off track a bit here obviously uh, Rams um, Rams win the Super Bowl um, and uh, a, a, another tear is shed in in Lion Town for uh, another year without a Super Bowl. I don't know. Is there anything else to say about that? Do do we really even want to talk about the Lions' off season?
2: I don't. I was the one thing I was just gonna say is I do want to give a shout out. I mean, Joe Burrow did play very well. Yes. Um, down the stretch in the, in the regular season and the playoffs. And I hope he gets back and I hope he wins one. I think he's deserving of it. And just a guy that's fun to watch play, you know, and he makes big throws and you know, doesn't have clearly doesn't have like the, you know, some of the athletic gifts of some of the other, you know, big time quarterbacks like a Mahomes or whatever, but just a guy that just fun to watch good player uh, and kind of picked up his team and put it on his back um, in, in, uh, in the playoffs. So.
1: It's just it's going to be tough for Burrow going, you know, uh, you know, going into the future with Mahomes and Josh Allen and and those guys that are in the AFC. It, it's going to be a real tall task for uh, him to be able to get back. But if anyone can do it, it is absolutely Joe Burrow. So,
2: yeah, it feels like uh, Buffalo's. Uh, they're they're just. It's a matter of time. It feels like. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: One other thing. Um in terms of just the off-season for the NFL, that I think it's worth noting, is uh, there have been uh, nine head coaching changes um, in the NFL this off-season. Um, eight of them, well, only one has gone to an African-American uh, and that's Lovey Smith, uh, who obviously has been around the game for ever and a day. And, you know, the NFL, as it's been doing its kind of uh, crisis management in terms of its various issues from the Flores lawsuit to continuing CTE issues and what have you, didn't help itself this offseason. Um, you know, over 50% of the players are black. Um, I've seen anywhere from 57 to 63%, depending on different sources, only 35% of the assistant coaches are minorities and until Lovie Smith was hired, just one, uh, you know, after Flores and um, I'm blanking on the other name, were fired after the season. So so two out of 32, one sixteenth of the league, whatever percentage that is, uh, solidly under five percent, right, um, of the league's head coaches are black. Um, so, OK, fine. So the only one was hired. I get, I get it. Well, let's look at those other coaches, right? That that got hired, those other eight. One, uh, Doug Patterson has had some NFL success, uh, five seasons in the NFL, winning record, blah, blah, blah. Two of the other coaches who were hired uh, have a career record, I want to say, of 17 and 47 or something like that. And then the other five are first-time coaches, first-time head coaches. That's... Not good PR for the NFL. So you're telling me that out of that rank, let's we'll throw out the number of players, right, who are black, who are in the NFL. Let's just look at the 35% assistant coaches, because you're you're getting your coaches from the assistant coaching ranks most of the time. There's obviously college football too, but and yet you still can only land 11% if you will, one out of nine. In a head coaching position and that's with five brand new coaches and two trash coaches at least in their prior runs who knows maybe they'll be great now it's not like we had this glut of great grizzled veteran coaches on the market because that does happen sometimes and, and you know a bunch of the big names move around and that's different to me it's like <sighs> you know is there uh, some merit to florist's lawsuit and there is if you read into it but how deep does that go and it does make me wonder
1: i think the nfl there's no repercussions right it, it doesn't matter that the league mints money and and it will continue to mint money you look at the tv ratings they're unbelievable i mean they're absolutely unbelievable the the you know the ratings that were uh, gathered and you know and and from that standpoint you can say it's bad PR. You can and and it and it is. It is absolutely bad PR. Uh, but you know, when all said and done, they they're, they're going to continue making money. They're going to continue being really. T- uh, uh, and 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 we especially when you think about the absolutely awful track record that the NFL has as a whole hiring coaches, right? Head coaches. Mm -hmm. It it is really bad because the turnover is usually every two to three years that someone will end up firing the coach and moving on uh, in about 90, almost 90% of the cases, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. And and, and so there's no correcting stupid, but if you're stupid and still making the money that you are, then then so be it. And I, I and it, it's a sad commentary. You're absolutely correct. It is a sad commentary, but it's true. And there's I I and, and it's very frustrating to me because I think because of the the inability of most of these owners, twenty five to twenty three to twenty five owners, not being able to to hire the appropriate coach. You would think that they would try something different, especially since when you look at like a guy like Mike Tomlin, who's been so good at his job that you would think that you'd be able to work past it. But again, these people, yeah, they have a lot of money, but that doesn't mean that they're smart. So,
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's where I was going to kind of hit at them is. If you look at and it's a very small sample size, I want to say it's like only, there's only been like 25 NFL uh, black head, you know black NFL head coaches in the history of the league. But if you look at them and you look at the numbers, you know that Adam's talking about with the longevity issue, black head coaches defy those odds in so many instances in recent history. Tony Dungy, Mike Tomlin, Lovey Smith, Dennis Green, Marvin Lewis these are guys that coached a very long time in the NFL. Some of them had a considerable amount of success. Most of the guys I mentioned left the NFL with a, you know, with a winning record and a bit of longevity, you know, at their places of employment. And it's like, you know, clearly there's something that is, you know, is working for some of these black NFL head coaches that they're able to defy the odds in terms of longevity know, Tomlin is the best example right now, you know, going into year 15, but you know, Dungey and Lewis and these guys, you know, they, they, They've shown that they were, you know, Dennis Green before them. They've shown they were able to do this and do this well at a high level. And so it's really just bizarre that they're not giving guys like, you know, Eric Bieniemy, you know, in Kansas City a shot. Why, you know, I, I'm not his biggest fan, but you tell me that Jim Caldwell, who's been to a Super Bowl and has, who has a winning record, is, isn't is getting a job over some of these absolutely garbage head, head coaches. Jim Caldwell shown an ability to win. In the NFL and do it with some teams like the Lions, for Christ's sake. Like Exactly.
0: How is this guy not getting a job? And, and, and that's where when you, when you look at the stats and when you look at these examples and, and the reality becomes clearer and clearer that the problem is, is an affirmative one. It, it, it is not one where, oh this is just kind of the way it's working out and they're just going back to the well with the same old people trying the same old thing and Hey, I'm making money anyway. So it doesn't matter. I mean, maybe that's true for some of the teams. I'm sure it is, but I, I think it's, it's an active thing by certain owners within the league who are like, I'm just not going to hire a black head coach because just accidentally they should do it from time to time. Um, just statistically, it just, just happen just 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 accidentally like yeah today we're going to take it, it it maybe that coach is terrible <laughs> i'm not saying that they wouldn't be but but accidentally they should do this and it just is it's maddening to see and like why i don't know and yet yet we have you know this being really the you know, it's, it's, it's the, the big sport of the land, you know, and yet it has these massive issues. And then baseball, which has its own issues as well, don't get me wrong, um, can't can't pull its head out of its ass and get on the field. And it just it, it infuriates me, um, but it is it. what it is.
2: One thing I do want to bring up from our last show to give uh, Adam some validation and kudos is Adam made a a strong argument that the Oakland Raiders were the absolute worst NFL franchise. And boy, did they go out a few days later and back that up by hiring Josh McDaniels. Wow. The Raiders really showed up for you, Adam. You made a strong argument about just how, how much trash they were. And boy, did they go, you know what, let's step up to the plate. Let, it, let us back this guy up. And boy, did they do that by hiring Josh McDaniel. Good luck winning four games next year. Have fun.
0: <laughs> oh, my. And there you have it. Um, let's turn to something a little more local now and, uh, and talk some, some Pistons basketball. Maybe we can talk about uh, Cunningham, right? He's, he's exciting. That's a happy topic or something
1: maybe uh, you know what this team is very infuriating um you know before the uh all-star break i mean up until the last two games before i mean they were just absolutely not playing any defense to the point i was talking you know kind of the my couple people that i talked Pistons with you're like what what happened to Dwayne Casey and playing defense? What what happened? And then and then, you know, and I think part of it maybe is that they simply, again, weren't healthy. They had a whole lot of COVID things. But now you have a full roster. And then I look at like the, the minutes that are getting played And, and I am sitting there and trying to go, what is Dwayne Casey doing with Sadiq Bay? I mean, that was a guy that was really starting to correct the way he was playing basketball there before the break. And then all of a sudden it was very, I don't know, even look at against Cleveland. And I don't know, I guess he doesn't play very well against Cleveland for whatever reason. But I, I don't know, Brandon. I'm, I'm I'm looking at this team. We talked about it the last time. I don't like the roster makeup. Yes, you did go out and get Marvin Bagley the third. Uh that was your big trade. Mind you, I look at other players that got traded like Tyree Halliburton and, and, and stuff like that. And, and I, and I go, where was this organization on those players where you could get really good players that could be very impactful to this team and, and make stuff happen. And it just, it, it didn't. And I'm just, now I'm even more frustrated than I was before the trade deadline.
2: Yeah. You know, they continue to play, you know, kind of this um, utility drawer jump drawer style of roster management which we talked about last time in their attempt to, to get bowl bowl. and it, you know it fell through because of the physical so they went out and got you know Marvin Bagley because you know clearly they did not assemble their front line the right way you know you know going into the season but you know Bagley is not a good defender. And so just to, to Adam's point you know another guy that can score, I think he's a better reclamation project. Than a lot of the other guys they have, I think he will stick around for a while, but just lacking of identity. And I think the way they're being exposed defensively is now they are really building up the kind of minutes they want to give to Isaiah livers. And I think I love Isaiah livers. I think he's fantastic. Uh, And I think if not for injuries, he would have a different trajectory. But, you you know, he's not his physical tools are not. Out of this world, right? But they're building him up as like, oh, we really want to give him a look. And it's precisely because defensively they seem so lost. And again, you know, they really have struggled without Plumley, um, you know, in the middle. Like it just, and they just lack an identity. And so I, I know I can't believe I'm saying it, but it's just, it's true. It's true that the team is just, they've got to get rid of this spare parts mentality. You know, they have an opportunity to get Jabari Smith. Paulo Boncero from Duke, maybe Chet Holmgren. You now they have an opportunity to add a, a better player, in my opinion, from a ceiling level than Kate Cunningham. You know, the three guys I mentioned could be, could be truly transformational, and they could also be absolute busts. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I think Cunningham was a very sure-handed pick. Um, but they got it. they've got to clear some of this space. They gotta figure out what to do with Killian Hayes. They've got to figure out how to clear some of these guys out, focus the minutes where they deserve to Adam's point about Sadiq Bay. I would say the same for Isaiah Stewart, pick the guys you think have the best chance, clear out the rest of the drag, stop playing 12 guys a game and see what you got. Because in the NBA, when you stack up three or four years of really good high draft picks, you're supposed to win. And so the turnaround time is much shorter uh, because of the way that, you know, rookies can be impact players. So um, I'm not just, I'm not, like, I don't want to say I'm discouraged. We knew this season was going to be a, a wash. Uh, you know, the draft will tell a lot for them, but they got some work to do. They have some work to do.
0: Well, I mean, that's that's really it. We talked about it in the offseason. And, um, you know, Trey Weaver's uh, just complete, you know, retilling of the earth as it uh, pertained to the Pistons, you know, once he took over. And now... And maybe this year, yeah, it's just a lost year and it is what it is, but we should be seeing X number of players who are going to stay. Like these guys are the foundation. Yes, we know these guys are the riffraff, (laughs) but these guys are the foundation. And it's hard to say that we're really seeing that. We could be. I mean, somebody like a Marvin Bagley, he's a super young guy. I mean, I... Maybe I don't know. I don't know enough about basketball to be fair, but uh, it just—it doesn't seem like we know what this team's going to look like next year, or the year after, or the year after.
1: And 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 my thing when I'm looking at the trade deadline, I I, I see guys like Sabonis get get traded, and my question is why wasn't the why weren't the Pistons in on a guy like Sabonis, who absolutely would have been a. I mean, you pair him and I guess Stewart on, on that on that front court, man, that's a whole different ball game now, right? But they didn't, and I, I just it, and then it brings back up the question, guys: What is the plan? And to your point, Brandon, this utility, you know, drawer of of knickknacks. Oh my gosh, it just it. it it's very, very, very frustrating. So Yeah,
2: and and they didn't deal with Jeremy Grant. And surprising. it seemed like there was a lot of opportunity for big return there. And maybe they didn't get the deal that looked good enough for them. But when you're when you have only they don't think they've won like eleven games at the point of the trade deadline or something like that, like when you're at that level, you know, like keeping a guy like Grant simply does not matter. Oh. Deal him, load up on the picks, move on. He did exactly what they needed him to do. He came in, ate up a ton of minutes, scored a lot of points, filled a key roster, spot. good player, will be a good player wherever he goes. But, you know, what are you doing? Get rid of the guy. Like, go go get that return. Load up on yeah. another first rounder. It's going to be a very deep draft class.
1: Well, and and, and 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 even on that point, though, Brandon, is that when you're you're looking at a, a training like a guy like Grant and you have a log jump right now with Kate Cunningham, what what is the reason to hold on to him? And that's that's where it's just I, I I don't know. And, and this is a Troy Weaver. And I, I, I do wonder if he season goes along. Dwayne Casey, is he frustrated? Is he gonna, you know, is he gonna be offering more commentary about the situation and, and and the condition of the organization as it goes along? I don't think he will. I think he's a pro's pro, and he won't be doing that. But i I'll, I'll you know, I'd be very, I'll be very interested to listen to Dwayne Casey as the season goes along. and kind of closes out here, we've only got about twenty five games, or actually, not even, not even that many games, you know. Fit, fit, Maybe fifteen, twenty, um, and um, ugh, oh boy, go. So.
2: This team is going to struggle. I mean, they'll probably get to twenty wins, but boy, that's rough when you're when you're doubting, you know, whether that whether the team's going to get to twenty wins. That's that's ugly.
1: Well, and, and and again, you look at the you know that draft where you have three three picks, right? You had, uh, uh you know, you walk away with Stewart, you walk away with Deep Bay, and you walk away with, uh, um, you know, Killian Hayes. And I mean, Killian Hayes. We've talked about that guy so many times at this point. And and Stewart and and Khadij Bey are, are good pieces. Um, uh, uh, but that kid, I mean, you you did not walk away. Um, and, you know, I'm, I mean, I look at a guy like Jay Morant, you know, and I know he went two in the you know in, in the draft and whatever. He is so unbelievably incredible in terms of what he's able to do, even on that roster that he's on at this point. And it just it, it really just speaks volumes of of the 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 absolute power of being able to go out and get that superstar player and how impactful they can be. So I don't know. There you go. Yeah, you know, you
2: can you can see it in a, you know the, the team that's closest to them in the standings right now, the Orlando Magic, who are similarly dreadful. But when you look at that team, you see the future, you see. Maybe four three, maybe four of the guys are going to be the starters on that team three years from now. when you look at the Pistons, you go Cunningham, yes, Bay most likely and after that, couldn't tell don't have a clue.
0: Great. So let's go to a team that's doing a little better in the rebuilding um, and that is of course the Detroit Red wings they're, they're game under 500, but um, again, I think we've all been pleased with the progress this season. Um, you know, they did lose by a field goal last night. Um, it was a low-scoring football game. I'll give them that. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and we've said this on prior shows as well, is, you know, we, we're expecting the ups and downs. And so they played some pond hockey last night. Um, but they've won a number of games, and the young guys continue to look really good. Um, I, I mean, I just... Continue to be pleased and more excited. I'll just say it again. Um, oh boy, uh, what a pick uh, by Eisman This guy could be around for a long, long time. So,
1: and and I think with this team right now, just because of their youth, that that discipline is is not there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but the thing that you're really and, and I've heard this before, watching the team, it's great to watch a team with as much. Energy as they play with on the ice. But again, that kind of drank like into like a game like last night. You shouldn't be giving up 10 goals. I, I, that's the most obvious statement in the world, but, but you can't be giving up 10 goals. And part of it is, you know, the goal, you know, (laughs) obviously he didn't have a very good night. Um, but to your point and and the points that Brandon has made, it's still exciting to sit there and watch this team play hockey and if you've got that you're able to bottle it and build on it and that's what's happening here so
2: yeah and and again just to to continue the the emphasis on the point you know with guys like raymond cider larkin yeah you can see the identity forming you can see who this team is going to rely on in two years when they make their run you know you can see it and you know that and that is really where you know the Pistons and you know the other the other NFL the other NFL team you know the Lions whatever you just have no clue like well who are they what are they about where you know where are they going you just you really don't know. Yep, and that's the thing with with um... and I would put the Tigers in the same category as uh, the Wings like you can see the pieces you, will will it work will they win don't know but you can see it you know you can put the guys in the slots and say these are the guys that you are going to hang your hat on
0: absolutely (laughs) true and you know someday if baseball ever returns we can we can dive pretty deep into that because they've got a couple of international kids that they signed through international free agency that are are eye-popping uh their pick in the draft this past year the young short sat pacheco uh terrific pick now maybe i'm completely wrong but i think a terrific pick
1: but but he agrees with you though. We know that. He thinks he's a terrific pick, too. He
0: does. You know? He does. That could be <laughs> problematic, but that's okay. Um, but to your point, the wings, you know, you, you want to know on your roster who's your top six forwards, who's your top four defenseman, and who's your goalie. <laughs> like get there, and then the rest of it you can fill with role players and veterans who, you know, are, are in that second tier. And the wings are doing that. And so that's just super exciting and I think we will see you know we will see some more uh, positive movement and it'll be very fun to see the off season as well I wonder if they will make the playoffs they certainly have a shot uh, it'll be very interesting to see so with that said any other uh, topics we wanted to touch on
1: none here off the top of my head so
0: just really quickly looking at him for your 30 second
2: uh what is phil nicholson doing Mm
1: -hmm. i think that's a very complicated way beyond 30 second type of thing um i think phil has been living on the brink for so long he saw nothing wrong with what he did i think you have someone who has an inferiority complex that has not been talked about at any extent um, you're talking about someone who played in Tiger Woods Shadow forever uh, and ended up. And, and, and he is not, and actually, when you look at the history of golf, I can almost understand the intent of what he did it just wasn't very well thought out um when you look at the history of a guy like jack nicholas and arnold palmer who did a, a fantastic job of making sure that they did their part not only to look out for themselves but look out for their fellow golfers who were not making as much money as they did um and when you look at the uh uh you know the impact of guys like Tiger Woods could the overall game of golf. I think that Phil was desperately wanting to go ahead and and really imprint his legacy into golf that way. I don't think he had any intent to go to the, the Saudi league. I think basically he knows that the PGA tour is not dramatically different than the, the, the uh, Major League Baseball owners that we talked about and the NFL owners. They own everything. And there's very, very little bargaining that could be done by these golfers. Now they've given some chips. You know, you're promoting the game on social media and whatever. They've given 50 golfers up to you know 50 million dollars. You know, some sort of bonus and whatever, depending on what they do in social media. But the point being, they hold all the chips. And, um, and especially when you look at like uh, even the discussion of of uh, caddies and whatever, I mean, that would have been a way more better topic to for Phil to go. But bottom line, Phil has lived on the edge. He's gotten away with living on the edge for so long. Maybe he just he lost his brain, period, in his story. <laughs> but the good news, the good news. We're a forgiving world, and I will tell you, within the next 18 months, Phil will be back. He'll do something to his amends, and even though he doesn't have the best reputation as a golfer on tour amongst his fellow tour players, he will figure it out.
0: I do believe that very much. So on that note, it's time to wrap things up. Um, I do want to just throw out there for future thought, too. I think the plight of minor league baseball players is uh, worth us talking about this the caddy comment made me think of that as well. Um, and that'd be something interesting to explore. but hopefully at least the last uh, last hour or uh, hour and a half or so uh, we've entertained you and distracted you from all the fun things going on in the world right now and uh, we'll be back on the air uh, hopefully in a few weeks talking about the start of the major league baseball season that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not gonna happen damn it because they can spite me and make it happen so it's not gonna happen Uh, on that front thanks for listening to another edition of saturday morning sports emporium for brandon lee and adam swenson my name's justin lee thanks and uh, we'll see you next time